Good morning. Yeah, you got an extra hour of sleep tonight. You can do better than that. Good morning. Thank you. If you have your Bible with you, if you want to find uh, Matthew's Gospel, the ninth chapter, we'll be in Matthew chapter 9 this morning as we continue uh, spending some moments with the Master, just learning through those experiences that Jesus' disciples and followers had with Him as they learned what it meant to really follow and be like Him. So we'll be in Matthew 9 this morning. Uh, the Barna Group, they've been involved in gathering and analyzing information concerning the church since 1984. And in many of their findings, they're eye-opening. They're startling. It, they've recently found that 43% of Americans are unchurched. No church whatsoever. 47% of Americans have no church affiliation, whether that's a church, a synagogue, or even a mosque. Only one in four Americans is a practicing Christian. One in four. 25% of Americans, that's another one in four, believe that they will get into heaven by living a good life. And there are more churches that close a year than are planted. Think about what that means. Basically, every other person that you meet, every other person that you come into contact with, they're lost. And, and that's not a new trend. That's not something recent. This has been consistently going higher. The number of people who don't know Christ has been going higher and higher and higher every year. More and more people have no interest in the church than or about something bigger than they are. People don't want to know. And when you think about that even more deeply, that tells me that over half of the people that we come into contact with are going in, they're headed to hell. They're headed to some place of eternal suffering. And if you add it into that, all the people who call themselves Christians and then don't even believe that Jesus is the only way, think of it. How many people in our world are headed to hell? But that's why we're going to see Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful. Uh, there are people to reach. There is work to be done. And one of the great, greatest dangers for the modern church, one of the worst things that we could do is not see that as the most important work we could be doing, going out and sharing the gospel. But when we think about it, when we get down to it, most of what we do, most of what we focus in on is about meeting our own needs, our own preferences, and the things that we like. We think that the church is somewhere that can meet our own specific needs, whether that's uh, the music, the fellowship, whatever it is that we think that we want, that's where we go. And we don't look at this place as somewhere that we come to be energized to go back out into the world and reach the lost for Christ. And as Jesus ministered to the needs of the people around him, it's easy to see that he met their physical needs. I think of it. He, he healed people. He, he fed the crowds. He was able to see beyond that, though. Jesus was able to see the people's deepest needs, the needs deep in their hearts. And he had compassion for them. And he was deeply moved. He could literally feel their needs in his gut. Have you ever been so concerned for the welfare of somewhere that you could just feel it right here? That you could just feel their hurt and their suffering? That's the kind of compassion that Jesus had for the lost. 
And he saw the reality of the people all around him. He saw them as they really were, and he wanted to share that insight with his disciples, and he wants to share that with us here today. He wants us as Christians to see the plight of humanity the way that he does. He wants us to see people as they really are. He wants us to be moved for their condition, just like he was. He wants us to be able to see things through his eyes. And my prayer for this morning is that we're able to see the loss just as he does. So let's pray and we'll read our text. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we're able to come here and worship freely. Thank you uh, for, for this time of worship that we've had in singing praise to you. And Lord, I pray that as we go to your word, as we look at this passage in Matthew's gospel, we begin to understand the need for us to see people the way you do to look past uh, the facades and, and, and the fronts that people want and see people the way you do, and that the deepest need that they have, the most important need that they have, is to know your son Jesus. Lord, open our hearts to your word this morning. Open our eyes to see as you do. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 9, starting in thir verse 35. Our text reads, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they're few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, the first thing that we'll notice in our text this morning is that Jesus saw the pity of the harvest. Jesus saw the pity of the harvest. When Jesus looked around at all these lost people gathered around him, he saw them as they really were. He was able to look past those fronts of self-sufficiency, of self-righteousness, of self-confidence. He could see past that outward presentation they made that appearance that everything was perfectly okay in their lives. He saw their pain. He saw their loneliness. He saw the misery in their hearts. He saw a people who, who were harassed and who were helpless under the weight of their sins. And he saw a people that were helpless when they were faced with the unrealistic expectations of the religious leaders. It's their... their People who were supposed to shepherd them had put so many rules and regulations on their back that they could see no way out. These were a people who were wandering aimlessly through life with no real direction, with, with no destination in mind. They were a people who lived life without a shepherd for their souls. Jesus saw a people around him who were hopelessly lost. And you have no idea how important it is for us to see people the same way. Think of it. Over here, there's a family. And, and they have plenty of money. They have a nice house. They have a couple cars. Um, they have everything that this world can offer them. And they seem happy. Uh, you know, if you check their social media accounts, you would think that their life was perfect. That they are living their best life today. And there are plenty of people living just around this building in this city that are like that. 
But if you could look into their hearts, you'd see confusion, you'd see fear, you'd see loneliness, you'd see desperation. They have no answers to the questions that they're asking. And then there's another family. Uh, They don't have as much as the first family, uh, but they work, they have a place to live, even though it's not as nice as the first families. Uh, Their lives are driven by alcohol and drugs. They seem hard to the gospel, and they're hostile to the people who try to share it with them. But if you could rip aside the layers of their lives, if you could look into their souls, you'd see a people who are afraid to die, and maybe even afraid to live. See, there are people without hope, and they need someone to see them just the way they are. Someone who can see them as they are and still love them. We need people like that to reach others for Christ. But when Jesus looks at these families, what he sees is their final destination. He's the end of these people's existence. He knows that without a relationship with Him, without knowing Him as their personal Savior, they're doomed to an eternity in hell. And that's what we need to see today. We need to see that about our our friends, our co-workers, the people we go to school with, our, our neighbors, our acquaintances, our families. They may look like they have it all together. They may look like they have this all figured out. But if they're lost, they don't, and they're headed to hell. And they can only be saved by the grace of God. Can can you see people the way they really are this morning? Can you see them the way Jesus sees them? He knows their condition. He knows all the warts, all the mess-ups, all the failures, and He still loves them unconditionally. We need to pray today to ask God for, to allow us to see the harvest the way he does. Jesus, he saw the pity of the harvest, and he also saw the potential of the harvest. Jesus saw the potential of the harvest. He, he looked around at these crowds gathered around him, and he saw a plentiful harvest. And, all I'm, and I'm sure that the disciples, as they looked out on these crowds swarming Jesus, they just saw a people who were pushing and shoving, trying to get close to their leader, get close to their rabbi. But Jesus saw more than that. He saw men and women and children who needed to be saved, who needed to be saved by grace. He saw a harvest that was ripe for the picking. He was able to look past their condition. He was able to look past that. He could look past where they were headed. And he saw a people. He saw a broken people who could be delivered, changed, and saved. Jesus didn't see the problems. He only saw the potential. So let me ask, what do we see when we look at the people around us? Do do we see them as, do we see sinners as lost in their filthiness, in their vileness? Do we see people who live like dogs and maybe even enjoy it? Or do we write people off? Do we write them off because of their social status, because of their education, their nationality, the color of their skin, or the language they speak? 
And what's sad is that's far too often the truth. We've become so nationalistic, we've become so tribal, um, we've become so self-centered that we don't seem to care anymore. We've seemed to have forgotten the truth that Jesus came to save the world. Not just the people who speak like us, who look like us, or vote like us. He came to save all of us. Do we see people the way they really are, or, or do we just write them off? Jesus looked at people and he saw the potential. He saw that there was more that could happen in their lives. That just because they've messed up, because they, they've, they've made some bad decisions in their life, that they were just someone that you write off and forget about. He saw them as they were. But he also said, oh, what they could be by grace. We need that same kind of vision to reach people in the world today. Think of it. One day, Jesus and his disciples, they went into outside of the city of the Samaritans. And now the Samaritans were a people that the Jews, they despised them, they hated them. Um, they couldn't stand them at all. And if they could have, they would have built a big, great big wall to keep them out. Now, the Samaritans, they came about through an intermarriage between the Jews with, who, with the colonists who were sent to live in Israel by the Babylonians. And the Jews, they said, you're a bunch of half-breeds, and you're worthless. But Jesus went to the city of the Samaritans, and he spoke to this sinful woman. And he saw her not as she was, or the way the people that he hung out with saw her, but he saw her the way she could be through grace. He saved her, and even more people, more Samaritans were saved because Jesus looked at the harvest as being everywhere and having potential. He would even say to the disciples in John chapter 4, verses 35 to 38, he said, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. He says, Look! Look at the harvest. Look at the people that need me. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. You've joined together with them in the greatest work that we could have. He says, look, the harvest, it's out there. It's all around us. There is potential for all of us. See, we can go out and we can start harvesting because there is potential. I guess what I want you to understand is this truth, that there are people all around us who need Jesus. All around us are people who are living their lives outside of a relationship with Christ. The harvest outside of here is plentiful. And there are people ripe for the picking. We simply need to go out and do something about it. We need to pray and ask that he lets us see the harvest the way he does. Jesus, he saw the pity 
and the potential of the harvest. And he also saw the problem of the harvest. Jesus saw the problem of the harvest. As Jesus, as he looked out over the crowds around him, he recognized the fact that it was plentiful. He saw that there was so much potential. But as he looked out over all those men, women, children, all these lost people, he recognized there was a little problem. There were very few workers to send out into his father's field. But that same problem exists today, doesn't it? Going out into the harvest, it's hard work. And and it seems like there are very few in churches today who are willing to roll up their sleeves and get in with the dirty work of going out and getting involved. Jesus, he had called his men to follow him. He said, I will make you fishers of men. And of course, to fish, it requires fishermen to go where the fish are. You can't fish in your your house. I guess if you had an aquarium, maybe you could. But they, you already caught them. You can't fish on dry land. You have to fish in water. You fish where they are. Maybe if you, anybody plant vegetable gardens? One, two, three, four. We got a few. If you have a vegetable garden, do the vegetables harvest themselves? Do, 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 they, do they just, um, you got to get out there, you got to get down in the dirt, and you have to do the dirty work of harvesting. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if green beans picked themselves and, and drug themselves up onto your porch? Or the corn? I was going to say okra, but I don't like okra. Um, it doesn't work like that. To harvest your garden, you have to go where the harvest is. The same is true in bringing men and women to Jesus. We can sit in the church, but we will not see a harvest until we go where the lost people are living. And it can be dirty work. It can be hard work. It can be unrewarding work. But there will never be a harvest until we go to where the harvest is. I mean, think of this. Can we not see the truth that people are in a sad state today? The people in this world are in a sad state, spiritually speaking. I mean, we care. Well, I hope we care. I hope we care about them, and we want to see them saved by grace. We need to get to the place in our lives. We need to come to the point where we're not content. Where we're not content to see it, but we need to get to the place where we're ready to do something about it when we're willing to go out into the fields and work on the harvest. We need to get to the point where we're not content to let other people do the work. We need to come to the point where we're willing to do the work because at the end of the day, that's what he's called us to do. And if we can ever get to the point where we see the harvest the way he does, we won't be content to simply see it. We'll be compelled to enter into his work and see men and women saved and see lives changed. Jesus, he saw the pity, the potential, and the problem of the harvest. And he also saw the power of the harvest. 
Jesus saw the power of the harvest. As Jesus, as he speaks to his disciples about the harvest and the needs that were associated with it, he told his disciples what to do first. He said, pray. He said, pray. Why would we pray first? Because seeing the harvest brought into the barn, well, that's God's work. He, he has to till the soil of the heart. He, he has to water the seed of the word that's planted, and he, he, and he must cast the sunshine of his grace upon a lost heart. That's when there's a harvest. See, the new birth, it's a miracle. It is the awesome work of God in a human heart, and only he can do it, but we are called to pray over the harvest. And Jesus, we, we should also see that he told them to pray to the Lord of the harvest, and that would be his Father, that would be God, that he would send out laborers out into the fields. And as we develop that burden for the lost, as we begin to pray for them the way we're supposed to, we will develop a compassion for them with our own hearts. And if we pray the way we're supposed to, the Lord will work inside of us so that the desire will come about for us to go out and get to work in the fields. So let me ask, do you see the need this morning? Can you see why we need to be committed to his mission to reach the lost world? And if you do, the place that you need to start, you need to begin by getting before him, praying, trusting him to do his work in the harvest. Now, I do have to make something clear really quickly because our job isn't for us just to pray for workers to go out. It's not for us to say, God, could you send some people out into the harvest so we could have more people in church today? We're not meant to pray that someone else will do it. The men that Jesus was speaking to, these 12 men, immediately afterwards were sent out into the harvest. And he's telling them, I'm already with you, so go out and do the work, but I need you to pray that more people will go out and do the work. Our prayer is meant to bring in additional workers, not for, a, for, not for someone else to take our place. We need to see people the way God sees people. Now, God did something really incredible in New York City over 150 years ago. It's something that illustrates how God started every harvest time in history through the concentrated prayer of his people. Way back in the 1850s, none of you were alive then, the glow of earlier religious awakenings had faded. America was prosperous, and there was little perceived need to call on God for anything. Secular and religious conditions combined brought about a crash, and a third great panic swept through America. It swept all this speculative wealth away. Thousands of merchants... Uh, Businessmen were forced to the wall as banks failed, as railroads closed, um, factories shut down, and there were thousands and thousands of people unemployed. But in October 1857, the hearts of the people were thoroughly uh, weaned from that uncertain speculation of uncertain gain, and hunger and despair was the norm. 
But there was a quiet and zealous man, a businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear. And he took an appointment to the city missionary in downtown New York, and he was appointed by the North Church of the Dutch Reformed Denomination. How would you like that as a... And the church, just like all the other churches, were shrinking. They were losing people. People were moving away from downtown to the suburbs. People weren't coming. And they decided, we need to do something. We need to get more people. We need to reach more people. And and they thought the Dutch leadership of the church, they thought, we'll put a layman in the task. And burdened by this need, Jeremiah Lanfear decided to invite others to join him in a noonday prayer meeting. He's going to hold it one day a week on Wednesdays at noon. So he distributed a handbell. I want to read what it says. How often shall I pray? As often as the language of prayer is in my heart, as often as I see my need of help, as often as I feel the power of temptation, as often as I am made sensible of any spiritual declension or feel the aggression of a worldly spirit. In prayer, we leave the business of time for that of attorney and intercourse with men for intercourse with God. A day prayer meeting is held every Wednesday from 12 to 1 o'clock in the consistory building in the rear of the North Dutch Church, corner of Fulton and William Street, entrance from the Fulton and Streets. Got to read all of it. The meeting is intended to give merchants, mechanics, clerks, strangers, and businessmen generally an opportunity, uh, an opportunity to stop and call upon God amid the perplexities incident to their respective avocations. It will continue for one hour, but it is also designed for those who may find it inconvenient to remain more than five or ten minutes, as well as for those who can spare the whole hour. So on, tw- on the 23rd of September, 1857, um, at 12 noon, door was opened. And Jeremy Lamphere took a seat, waiting for the people to flood in. Five minutes went by, no one. Started pacing the room, thinking, whoa, what's going to happen? Is anybody going to show up? He's pacing. Ten minutes went by. Fifteen minutes went by, and he's still alone. Twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes, and finally at about 12.30, he heard a step on the stairs. And the first person came in, and another, and another, and another, until six people were present, and the prayer meeting began. On the following Wednesday, on October 7th, there were 40 people. And in the first week of October 1857, they decided to hold the meeting daily instead of once a week. And within six months, within six months, 10,000 people were gathering daily for prayer in New York. And within two years, there were a million people who came to know Christ. And it was undoubtedly the the greatest revival in New York's history. And it was of such an amazing and curious thing that happened that the whole nation got curious. There was no fanaticism. There was was no hysteria. Just a movement, an incredible movement of the people to pray. And before that was over, one in five Americans have been saved by the grace of God. And that's what can happen 
when people see the harvest through his eyes. See, we're so quick to think that it's not our job. It's not our responsibility. We're so quick to think that somebody else will do it. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, pray that we can find other people, but you need to go out and do it yourself. Pray for more people to go with you, but before you do something, it doesn't work like that. He's called us to go out into the world to make disciples. He's called us to go and make disciples of all nations. And we have to start somewhere. We can't hope that they will come to us. Jesus said they're out there. The harvest is plentiful. Go out and harvest. There have been seeds planted by others. There have been things going on that you don't know about. But until you leave this building and go out into the world and start sharing the good news of Christ, nothing will change. But if you are ready to be faithful, if you're ready to say, Lord, send me out. Let me talk to my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers, the people I go to school with. Let me talk to them about Christ. Let me share the amazing news that, that, that you came in the flesh. That you lived a perfect life. That you were accused and condemned for something you hadn't done. That you were put to death on a Roman cross. That you were buried. And after three days, raised back to life. Putting paid to the debt of our sin. So that we can have forgiveness, we can have hope, we can have a future. That the worries of this world are temporary. That we can know the truth that it won't last. And there are so many people out in the world today that need to know that what they're facing and what they're experiencing is temporary. That there is more than what we find in this life. And they will only find that through Christ. As the worship team comes, first, if you don't know Christ, it's really easy. It's admitting that you're a sinner, believing Christ died for your sins, and confessing your faith in Him. That's the first step in an incredible journey that will change your life and hopefully allow you to have an impact on others. Maybe you've been in church your whole life. Maybe you've never had the courage to share the gospel with someone. Maybe you've never felt comfortable saying, you know, I believe that Christ really did die for me. And my life has changed because of that. Today's the day to say, Lord, I'm going to go out because I know that harvest is plentiful. I know there are people out there that need something more than this world could ever give them. Jesus said the workers are few. And they are. But I'd rather be one of those few workers than not one. My prayer is that you would surrender to that call and say, Lord, 
you're more important than anything else in this life that I could do. The people's soul, where they spend eternity is more important than me stopping at Starbucks in the morning. That maybe I could invest in somebody's life and tell them about your son. Eternity is a long, long time. And I sure wouldn't want to be morning, if you don't know Christ, turn to Him and find hope and forgiveness. If you do know Him, make a commitment to surrender, to let Him lead your life, to send you out into the world to harvest, because it's out there, and that's our responsibility. Not that we're going to save them, but that we're just going to tell them, and God's going to plan them, and He's going to change things. This world won't change unless we get serious about following Him. Don't let the world intimidate you from following Him. Surrender to Him and be a worker, ready to harvest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. Thank you for for doing what we couldn't do for ourselves. Thank you that you've forgiven me, a sinner. And Lord, I just pray that my life, the life of those here, that Lord, we're committed to being yours and yours alone. That we don't allow the world to dictate what we do or what we say we take seriously your call to go and make disciples. The harvest is there. You've told us it's plentiful. Today I pray for workers. I pray for those who are ready to get to work in your service and building your kingdom and making a difference and bringing glory to your name. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you just for your faithfulness. Thank you for your forgiveness. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.